Jesus name. Amen. Right now, if this is your first time here, let me just say welcome home. Welcome to the cookout. I'm so grateful that you're here. And we're concluding next week, not this week, but we're concluding a sermon collection called uh, We're Better Together. We're Better Together. And we've been talking about how the Surgeon General raised an alarm a few months back that there is an epidemic that's happening in our nation right now. It's not one caused by a viral disease. It's not caused by fungi or bacteria. But he mentioned that it is a social epidemic. And it's the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. He says that loneliness and isolation is so damaging, in fact, that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day or three black and milds, whatever you prefer. Can I say that? I don't know if that wasn't in the notes. I don't know if I should have said that. Oh, (laughs) yes. So it's not good, if you will. And so because of this loneliness epidemic, it's causing a lot of people to have cardiovascular disease, anxiety, and it's, and it's accentuating or causing those things to be more dominant in our society. And we've been saying that though loneliness and anxiety and isolation are prevalent in our society, that God has given a solution for that, and it's through something that we call crews. Crews are groups of five to 15 people that get together on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to pray, to spend time together, and to engage in the word, to share their lives with one another. And so crews are a beautiful, beautiful thing, and we have them run through the natural rhythms of the year. So when you join a crew, you're not in the same crew forever unless you want to. We let them run from uh, natural rhythms of the year, from September to about November, from February to May, and then we have summer meetups so you can get together. And so we go with the natural patterns of the year. Now, some of you guys are like, yo, that sounds good. I'm excited to join these crews. Tell me more about it. Well, you can meet us at the desk out right outside and we'll, we'll help you get connected. Uh, but others of you are apprehensive because you've experienced something called church hurt. And you're like, I'm not sure if I want to give my life to something like the local church because I've invested time, energy and effort before and I was ridiculed and I left dismayed. Or if I hadn't received church hurt, then I know somebody that has been taken advantage of by a predatory pastor or a mean deacon or a trustee that has acted in inconspicuous ways to harm that particular person. So so I've experienced church hurt. So what we've been doing in this collection is helping to talk about how we can heal from church hurt. But there's another dimension that I think we got to talk about today. And. What's happening is there's also this thing that happens called spiritual abuse, spiritual abuse. Some of us have been in context where we've experienced this thing. Uh, And I'd be remiss if I didn't give credit to Dr. Eric Mason for uh, for for this definition, because he really helped me think through this. This is this is what we can describe as abuse. Abuse is using something. Whether an idea, a person, in a way that goes against its original purpose. It's using something that's intended for one thing, for nefarious motives on the other side. Uh, When you use a hammer that's supposed to be used for building, and then you take it to demolish something, that would be considered abuse. When you have a medication... That's intended to ease your symptoms, 
but yet it's used illicitly to provoke or to bring about a euphoric high that's abuse. When you have your social media that's used to connect with other people and to share posters and to share funny memes and a wide range of other things, but you use that to share misinformation and to spread distrust online, that's what you call abuse. So when you take that and you bring it into the religious context, what we learn is when abuse is when ministers use the scriptures as a means of manipulating and harming people as opposed to using the text to edify, build up, exhort, and to develop. Does that make sense? It's using something that was created to do one thing and then taking it out of its context and using it to do another thing. And the thing about spiritual abuse that's so harmful is that it compromises the trust that the people have in the leader. The leader is supposed to use their influence, their skill, their ability, and a wide range of other things in order to bless the people, correct them at times if necessary. But when they use it as a tool to over control and manipulate, you know that it's spiritual abuse. Dr. Eric Mason would say it like this. He says, it's when leaders act in ways that are not ordained by God for them to act. Spiritual abuse, friends. It's when people who are made in the image of God are treated like pieces or pawns on a chessboard. Where the leader moves them into place where they need. And if something happens that they don't particularly like, they discard them. Spiritual abuse. And this doesn't just happen in the local church, does it? Because it also happens in a wide variety of other contexts. Because many of you may not have been abused by a church, but you know what it's like to be abused by a mean boss. You know what it's like to experience verbal insults and verbal assaults at the hand of people in authority, maybe in your work, maybe at home, maybe at the job. I'm not sure. But if it's happening in the world, let me assure you that it's very important that we talk about it in the church. And so today I want to preach from the subject. You probably guessed it. Healing from spiritual abuse. Probably part one because I have a lot of content and I don't want to rush through it. The, the person that designed the slides had to warn a production team like, hey, it's a lot this week. It's a lot. And I sent it to a couple so that they can read it, read through it. And they gave me some good insight. And, you know, they said, this is a lot. And so what I want to do, let me tell you, my goal is threefold here. Ultimately, I want to encourage and support those who have experienced physical or spiritual abuse. I want to support you. I want you to be able to recognize because sometimes it's so prevalent in cultures, particularly in church and other places, that some of us don't even realize it's happening. Like some organizations are so toxic that abuse, not health, is the norm. And when people do something that's healthy, it is like, yo, what is going on? I'm not used to that. Because some of us have learned to function in dysfunction. We function in dysfunction so long and have grown accustomed to leaders not being accountable for so long that it has become the norm in our organization. So therefore, we are not even able to spot that it's actually happening. So I want to do that today. I want to encourage you. Number two, I want to do my diligence not to rush 
through this because there's a lot to cover and I need to be sensitive to the people that have experienced this. And so I also want to let you know, because I told you it's a lot, that we are an equipping church. So what that means is we want to give you the tools that you need today so that you can apply them tomorrow. We want to give you enough substance on Sunday so that you have sustenance on Monday through Saturday. And so I want to equip you with the ability and the strength to engage people that may have experienced abuse. Because at some point in time, you're going to run into somebody that has been abused. And when you do, you need to know how to respond. And here's the other thing I want to also help you realize that if this is not your story, that is also applied in multiple contexts. So you can substitute spiritual for another form of abuse. Workplace abuse, quid pro quo abuse, uh, home abuse, whatever it is, I want you to be able to help you with that, okay? Is everybody with me? So I've got three points, but I think today I'm only probably gonna get through one of those points, okay? And so I wanna talk to us today about the marks of a spiritual abuser. The marks of a spiritual abuser. And I wanna use this story from King David and Saul to help illustrate this point, okay? Let me give you a little bit of background first. First Samuel 18 is the story of the United King, the first United King of Israel, Saul, and a gentleman who was a shepherd boy named David. One day David was in the field and he was, his dad, Jesse, encouraged him to just take some food over to his brothers that were in battle. And when he got there, he noticed that there was this 10 foot tall man from the Philistine army, which was a neighboring ethnic group that was challenging the Israelites. And he was cursing them out and he was yelling all type of epithets at them. And then David got emboldened and angry and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying the armies of the Lord? And so David was like, hey, I'll go out there and fight him. Saul was too afraid to fight. So Saul says to him, hey, I'm not going to go, but I'm going to give you my armor and I'm going to give you my sword. But David didn't want it because it was not a it was too big for him. He hadn't tested it yet. So he went with his instincts instead of going with the advice of this king that was apprehensive. And so he gathers five fluid stones from the rock because uh, apparently Goliath had five brothers. And then when Goliath sees him, he's like, oh, am I a mere dog that you would send this little child at me? And David says, you come at me with swords and such, and I come at you with the power of the Lord. And he takes the stone and he flings it and he hits Goliath directly in the forehead. But David wasn't fighting alone because what we notice is that, David, is that Goliath didn't fall back like the momentum should have taken him. He fell forward. Which seems to presuppose that it was a God fighting behind him or had his back and that was fighting for him when he stepped into the battle. Here's what I want to let you know parenthetically. When you go out to these battles and deal with these issues that God is fighting for you and with you. Can I just say that to somebody in here? That you think that you have a, a bunch of issues, but that there is a God who is invisible that you might not be able to see that wants to give you spiritual help in the midst of your difficult situation. And so David goes out there and, and David slays the giant. Then he takes his he takes his sword and he chops his head off. And he does that as a definitive blow to let him know. And then Saul says, who is this dude? 
And so let me just tell you, David's life changes in an instant. He goes viral. Somebody recorded it and put it on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And it was like, yo, who is this little dude that beat up or took care of this guy? And so he goes viral, right? He, 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 become, he defeats Goliath. He becomes friends with one of the greatest influencers or social influencers in the kingdom, who was Jonathan at that time. They become best friends. He gets national recognition. He goes viral, and eventually he moves into the king's palace. Let me just tell you, some of y'all want elevation, but you're not going to get elevation that you desire until you defeat that giant in your life. And it may not be a physical enemy, but some of you need to slay the giant of pride. Some of us need to slay the giant of our egos. Some of us need to slay the giant of, of the ways that we act that are not becoming or in a line with God's will. Let, let me go on. That's, that's, not a, that's just a note. So as you know, I'm an Eagles fan. Fly, Eagles, fly. Go, birds. Go birds. You saw that gentleman singing up here. His name is Control. He's our worship and production director. He did a good job, didn't he? He did a good job. Leave it to him. Don't clap too much for him. He's a Cowboys fan. Mm. Mm. That really hindered us from wanting to hire him. Be honest. But in 2018, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. We celebrated, didn't we? I went outside with no shirt on and yelled in Camden at 1 a.m. It was fantastic. My wife said, get your behind in the house. I was fighting a dad body at that time, so it wasn't a pretty sight. And so that celebration was amazing. It was like, it felt like it was millions of people in Philadelphia cheering them on. And when Jalen Hurts gets his Super Bowl this year, amen somebody. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. Shondo, that's my tongues. When he does that, we're going to have a good celebration and party. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. And so, if you remember that, that scene, that's kind of what David received when he had come back from conquering Goliath and then the Philistine army. And then they just got so excited that they just made a, they just started having a party. It was wonderful. They started having a party and David came back and then the women had the guitars out and they wrote a song and they said David has slain his uh, Saul has slain his thousands but David his ten thousands and at that moment it said Saul got angry at the song and then what we see here is a glimpse of spiritual abuse and let me just give you a little bit can I give you some can I give you a few points about what spiritual abuse is here's the first one you're going to write this down spiritual abusers are easily angered when others achieve more success than they do. Remember, you can substitute spiritual and put whatever circumstance or context you're in. But the text says that Saul was furious. He was angry. And he was angry because he felt overshadowed by the exploits of David. He was exploit. He began to feel jealous and his jealousy led to insecurity. The reason that he was so angry is because someone else's success made him feel inadequate. And the reason he felt like he was inadequate because he was losing influence in the nation. One of the big things that you can say or that you can see when someone's a spiritual abuser is they will not celebrate your successes. 
they will not celebrate your successes, right? Um, the other day, I mean, not too long ago, we bought a Ninja air fryer. It has changed my, like, it's changed our lives. I am in bondage right now. The same bondage that I was in when I got the George Foreman grill, I'm in that same type of bondage right now. It does so much. It's a slow cooker. It sautés. But then it does this other thing. It's called steaming or pressure cooking your food. Now, I didn't know what a pressure cooker was. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I'm like, hey, what's this little release valve? The little release valve went off. This steam shot into the air and burned me, y'all. Burned me. And that's what's happening with Saul right here. It's his emotions are like a steam pressure cooker. It's contained deep in the recesses of his soul. And when someone else experiences success, the release valve goes off and he just goes ballistic and gets volatile. That's because he doesn't like people achieving more than him. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like people being successful. And here's the thing. Let me just take this out of the context of spiritual abuse. Let me just let you know that everyone is not happy with you winning right now. Everybody's not happy with you winning. Like you're like, well, how come they don't comment on my Instagram post? Or how come they don't send a text message? Or how come they don't say congratulations? Or how come they don't put up a repost for my birthday? It's because they don't like your emotionally healthy relationship. It's because they don't like your budding career. It's because they don't like that. Why? Because it exposes their inadequacy. And the anger that they feel is only a shield to protect them from the perception that you're more successful than they are. Are y'all hearing me today? They just don't like it, if you will, because it makes them feel inadequate and inferior to them. And he was upset about this. And let me just say, you don't have to be concerned about everybody help, like winning. Like, you don't have to be concerned about that. Because some of us are like, some of us are the haters in this verse. They having another, they having another child. They going on another vacation. She got her hair done again. Dude's still in a gym. How he get his beard like that? Sometimes I'm like, look at that nice hairline. That's wild. How I get that hairline? I'm serving you, Jesus. Where's my hairline at like that? Don't worry. I'm going to show up next week with the tattoo. Let me get you this the tattoo. Now, nah, y'all going to be making memes of me online, all that. It would be bad. What was I talking about? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we are the jealous ones. But here's what I want to encourage you to do is that the God that blessed those folks can bless you as well. And sometimes he will allow people to succeed around you to expose the nastiness and the bitterness that's in your heart. So he goes on. So David, he's upset. David is doing well. Saul is upset. Here's, here's B. Here's the, the second one. Spiritual abusers often harbor resentment when others receive public praise. This bleeds a little bit in from the first point, but you get the point. Saul did not appreciate David because he looked more successful than him. Now think about insecurity for a second. Insecurity is a liar because it feeds you misinformation. Up until this point in the text, David had only won two victories, one over Goliath and the other over the Philistines. And Saul presumably had been a warrior for years on end. So it wasn't even true 
that David had slain ten thousands and saw thousands. But it doesn't matter what's true. Insecurity will feed you lies and make you believe something is true. That's actually false. Oh, their life is better than me. No, you just see their highlights, sweetie. It's not. You, you, you see you see the sports center highlights. You don't see the lowlights. Insecurity. What it does is it lies to you. He is upset because David receives social validation that he's not receiving from the people. And some of us are upset right now because we're not receiving that validation. And so we clap on the outside, but deep down we are upset because they're receiving something that we believe we should have received on the back end. So it says that he harbors resentment. Somebody say resentment. What is resentment? Resentment is deep, long-lasting, sustained anger or disdain for another person. So he was so angry and he was just brewing and stewing on that anger continually. And it says, look at it. Check, check what the text says. Initially, it doesn't say that he was angry with David. The text says that he was angry with the song. And he was angry with the women that wrote the song, right? But he took his frustration out on David, who had no connection to the song at all. Some of us are getting upset at people, or insecure leaders get upset, not at the person, but because of the people's perception of that person. And so they take it out on you. The reason that it's being taken out on you right now is part and parcel because people are talking nice about you. And others have caught whim of it. And so now the reason that you're being mistreated is because something is happening in the background and the punishment or the jealousy is happening in your life in the foreground. Does that make sense? So he goes on. Here, here, here's the third one. Spiritual abusers micromanage others and watch them jealously. Watch them jealously. He was, so what is micromanaging? Now, let me just say this. Micromanaging is over-controlling a situation. Let me just tell you, there is nothing wrong with control. Nothing wrong with control. You have control over what you put into your body. You have control over what you eat. You have control over what time you go to bed. You have control. It's because God has given you something called human agency. He's given you the ability to make decisions. So that's why we don't blame it on the devil. A lot of times we can blame it on our poor habits. What we have a lot of times is the product of our poor choices, right? They can be reversed, but you have to recognize that it's a problem, right? The issue that we run into is manipulative leaders are over controlling. So they want to change the outcome and they want to make sure that they keep tabs of your performance and the details because it's a way of establishing control over you and not losing the influence. Does that make sense? So, so it's, it's a big thing. So what they'll do is, that's why your parent always has something to say about how you speak and your parenting style. And that's why your boss always asks you or, or talks to you in a way that is belittling, it's because they're trying to micromanage you. It's trying to get you to act in a way that keeps you dependent upon them and, self and not have you become self-reliant because that bolsters their self-esteem and their emotional well-being. Does that make sense? 
And so there's a there's a book that I've been reading recently by Pastor Leon's Crump and a wide range of other leaders. It's called The Resilience Factor. It's great. It's a great book. It's talking about how you build unbreakable teams. And what struck me about this book is it says that micromanaging is the least effective way to lead people. The least effective way. And it results in, get this, poor performance. It also results in subpar results. The best approach to leading in any context is laying out a set of goals and allowing people to achieve them on their own. You just check the progress over time. And I believe many leaders that are manipulative know this, but the reason that they won't change is because they care less. They care more about control and less about results. Are y'all hearing me? They don't care about the results. They don't care about the win. Their win or their W is not the production of the team. Their win is making sure you stay in their pocket. It's spiritual abuse, friends. It's emotional abuse. Spiritual abusers will reduce the outcomes in order to maintain control over you. Here's the the fourth one. Spiritual abusers exploit you for their own physical and emotional desires. Spiritual abusers. Now, I know if you've been in in the church for a while, that verse 10 kind of messed with you a little bit. What do you mean, pastor, that God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul? What what do you mean? You're probably asking, does God still do that today? Is that something that's happening to me? Let let me just say this. uh, Two quick points on this. Number one, he this man disobeyed God two times at this point. And every theologian will tell you that this is not an evil spirit that he sent, but it's a tormenting spirit that he sent. Right. And so God removes his spirit from Saul and then he sends him a tormenting spirit primarily for punishment for what he's done to disobey God when God has done so much for him. Now, two things I'll say about this. Number one, if you savingly believe the gospel, you will persevere in the faith and you will not ultimately fall away. God does not remove his Holy Spirit from you. John 14, 16 through 7 says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you to help be with you. Get this forever. So when you've received the Holy Spirit, he doesn't leave you. Otherwise, Jesus would be a liar. Because he promises us promises us eternal life. If he takes your spirit of his spirit away from you, it's not eternal life. It's five minute life. It's 20 minute life. Are y'all hearing me? So he doesn't do that. And so we are sealed according to according to Ephesians one until the day of redemption. In other words, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit that I'm going to come back and I'm going to renew you, inspire you and bring you back to myself. Does that make sense, church? Like when you buy a house, you put down an earnest money deposit. And if you continue on in the contract, you will eventually get that home. Provided you give all the documents and things that you need. Well, the whole God is God, the father and Jesus are like, hey, I'm going to send you. I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to bring you to myself. I'm going to give you a new body with abs, well-defined calves. I'm going to just be flying in heaven like I'm just just go. He said, I'm going to give you that. But but here's the deposit that, you know, I'm going to send. Here's how you know I'm going to say that I'm going to give you this, this deposit called the Holy Spirit. 
And so number one, you don't lose the Holy Spirit. But here's the second thing. You might be saying, well, well, does God send tormenting spirits? Well, what we see in the New Testament is anytime there's a spirit present, Jesus is taking authority over it. So what I believe is, is that this is not something that's happening continually, but it's something that's happening in this instance, in this specific time period, because God is punishing Saul for his behavior. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So here's what's happening. So Saul is being tormented. So then it says David is playing the liar. A liary, liar, however you say that. L-Y-R-E, however you say that. You, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. He's, play, he's playing the guitar. He's got the acoustic guitar. And the text says that the reason he's playing that is because whenever a distressing spirit comes on Saul, David plays it right out of him. Right? So what's the, what's the issue with that? It's no, nothing wrong with that. But spiritually abusive leaders will take the good that you do and will exploit it for their own purposes. David had an ability. Now, if it's a well-adjusted leader, there's nothing wrong with that because they care about you and they're investing in you. But when they're not, when they're a spiritually abusive leader, they will take the good that you have and use it for their ability and for, and for their comfort and then discard you right after that. Does that make sense, church? That's what's happening. He's exploiting them. Here's what they'll do. They'll exploit you to satisfy a need. And once that need is fulfilled, they will get rid of you like you are not a person made in the image of God. This, friends, is spiritual abuse. Here's the fifth point. Spiritual abusers frequently intimidate others. They frequently intimidate others. I want you to know that, I don't know about you, but I, I love playing sports. I, I mean, I was like, I was pretty good at high school. Sarah says I was a local star. She was an All-American in track, you know? I'm like, who cares if you got D1 scholarships? I made second team All-League. It's like, so what, you ran at Nationals and you placed I play to play to. But in sports, what you're trying to do oftentimes is you're trying to get a psychological advantage. So what you do is you track, you talk trash, you uh, use aggressive language, you're showing physical dominance. You're trying to play mind games with the person. And so what we see in this text is that Saul does something similar and something very sinister. It says two times that Saul threw a spear at David. He threw a spear at him. And church, I was at one at first I was wondering, I was like, did he throw the spear because he was trying to kill him? Was he trying to kill the man? And then if you read Saul's words, he says he didn't throw the spear to kill him. He just wanted to pin him up against the wall. You hear what I'm saying? He just wanted to pin him up against the wall. If this was in the sports context, it would have been him just simply trying to intimidate him. What he was trying to do was not physically harm David. He was trying to emotionally scar David. Y'all ain't talking back to me here today. He wanted to pin him against the wall to let him know I can harm you if I wanted to. But the reason I didn't is because I, it was an act of my own will. And here's what spiritual abusers do. They will create an environment of distrust and anxiety around them 
because they are jealous of you, insecure, and a wide range of other things. They want to emotionally harm you because they're sadistic and they need the gospel. Here's the sixth one, and I'm done on this one, I promise you. Spiritual abusers surround themselves with unquestioning followers. I'm not sure that Saul kept the spear by his side. He might have gotten a spear from one of the other soldiers. But my question is, is when he threw the spear at David, how come the other soldiers didn't say anything? How come there were no whistleblowers in the organization? How come they didn't go to the prophets? How come they didn't go to the seers? Here's why. Spiritual abusers surround themselves with people that we can consider yes men and women that just say yes to them all the time. And if you question their loyalty, they will discard you and get rid of you or try to figure out a way to harm you. Friends, I got a few minutes and I got a lot of points to go. So I'm going to end right there. But I want to give you a little bit of hope. Is that all right? Give you some hope. Number one, Accelerate Church wants to be a place where spiritual abuse is not a practice. That's why we have overseers from outside churches that help oversee the finances, the relationships that are happening. That's why we have an executive team as well as elders that make sure. And that's why we are quick to apologize if we've wronged you in any way. Here's why. Because we want this to be an environment where spiritual abuse does not exist. But ultimately, we get that cue from the foundation of our faith, who is Jesus, who experienced abuse on the cross of Calvary. That the church that promised to be with him was actually the reason why he had to experience the abuse in the first place. That the people that said that they were going to surround him with love and be with him to the end are actually the ones that abused him by leaving him. But he still went to the cross and he still endured the shame and he still endured the pain and the sacrifice and he did it because of each one of us. Because it wasn't the nails in his hands or the nails in his feet that kept Jesus on the cross. It was him looking down the corridors of time and seeing that you and I would not have a relationship or a way back to God. So he decided in his mercy that I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to come down to earth and I'm going to die on their behalf, not as a victim, but more as a volunteer. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. But three days later, after he was buried in that borrowed tomb, his spirit came back into his body. And he stepped out of that stone Airbnb with all power in his hands. Old preacher would say he had time in one hand and eternity in the other hand. He might say that the eternal came back into the ephemeral. But Jesus resurrects from the grave with all power in his hand. Shows himself to the apostles. Shows himself to the disciples. 1 Corinthians 15 lays it out for us. Then he sows himself lastly to Paul. What does that have to do with it? And then he sent his Holy Spirit and now he's in heaven preparing a way for us. Get this. What he's doing in heaven is creating an environment 
where spiritual abuse will never happen again. He's creating a place where if you have experienced abuse in any form or fashion, Jesus is like, I've paid for it on the cross already. And in addition to that, I'm creating a space in eternity where this will not be a public practice anymore. So friends, I just want to encourage you to hold on and cling to the Lord Jesus because he will bring about a sense of healing. And if you've experienced that today, here's the thing that I love about Jesus is that he's going to bring about this thing called justice where he's going to right every wrong, that he's going to wipe every tear, that he's going to heal every wound so that you and I could experience eternity with him and joy-filled serenity, knowing that the abuse that we may have experienced on earth is that is heaven is going to heal it all. So I'll finish this up next week, folks. I promise you. But maybe you've experienced some of this abuse today. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Accept Jesus, the one that can heal you, the one that can transform you, the one that can make you new. Fill out that connect card. Write down the step that you want to take. Accept Jesus today and let him heal you. And I promise you, he'll give you the strength that you need to make it through the difficult season that you have in life. Why don't you let me pray for you? Jesus, I thank you so much that though the rain came of abuse and though the wind blew of mistreatment, that, our, that those things cannot erode the rock of our faith, which is Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for those who have experienced abuse of any kind and any variety today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would comfort their hearts. Comfort them, Jesus. Allow them to experience the newness in life that comes from serving you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be a shield for them and bring them hope in this difficult season. So, Lord, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say amen? You might want to put your hands together and give the Lord some praise. Maybe you want to.